Um, we're mindful, of course, uh, about the hurricane, Hurricane Ian. Many of you have been kind enough to ask about my family. Everybody's okay. Everybody's safe. That's the important thing. Um, the houses were not destroyed. Uh, the ranch is another matter. Um, we have a lot of fence down. Uh, cows are intermingled. We've lost about 90% of the orange crop. So we're going to take two offerings today. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. I do want us to take a moment and pray for those who have lost loved ones in the storm, 66 in Florida, 10 in North Carolina, last I saw, um, those who uh, have lost um, their homes and their businesses. Let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for being the God of the storm. It's a reminder to us to respect your power and not to overthink our own ability to withstand the storms. I do want to pray for people who've lost loved ones. And Father, I know some of them um, lost people because they were trying to rescue um, other members of the family. And I, I pray, God, in this time, they would just be comforted as they walk through this dark valley. And God, I know for so many people, there's still the shock of losing everything they have, their businesses, their homes. And I pray, God, that you would strengthen them and provide for them as they rebuild. And Father, help us to do all we can to come alongside and encourage and support. And Father, remind us the safest place to be in a storm is in your arms. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's begin by reminding ourselves of the big story, the big story that we are all a part of. The big story is this, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved across the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. That's how our story begins. It begins with chaos, and then God bringing order to the chaos. And you remember this story, how God brings light, he separates night and day, he creates moon and stars and sun, he creates dry land, he, he, he makes plants and vegetation, and then he creates animals, and finally he creates man, and he puts man in a garden. Do you remember this? Do you remember this part of the story? He creates man, he puts him in a garden. That garden is an amazing place. Man has connection, intimacy with God. In that garden, there are four rivers that find their source. It's important, remember that. And out from the garden flow these four different rivers there are two pivotal trees in the garden. One is the tree of life. It represents what life is supposed to be about. The other is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you may remember, God said, now listen, Adam, one rule, one rule, one rule. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, one rule. And then God looks at Adam and says, it's not good for man to be alone. And so he said, let's create woman. And so he causes Adam to fall asleep. And when he wakes up, there is Eve. And Adam's first words when he saw Eve were, yippee. <laughs> Honest to goodness, it's in the Hebrew. It's called an enclitic participle. And it should be translated as yippee. And I know that's how every husband feels when he wakes up in the morning and sees his wife. Come on, guys, I'm trying to help you out a little bit here. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, so this is paradise, right? This is where everything is perfect. It is the way it is supposed to be. One rule. 
and you know this story, Adam and Eve, the serpent tempts them and they break that one rule. And sin enters the universe and wreaks havoc. We underestimate the power of sin. You see, on that day when Adam and Eve crossed that boundary, sin was unleashed. Do you know what that means? On that day, cancer was born. On that day, war was born. On that day, racism and hatred and greed and lust were born. On that day, insecurity was born. Attachment was broken. On that day, everything that is wrong on this planet today and wrong in this universe began its flowering stage. Nothing since then has been the way God intended it to be since that day. And God's response, do you remember? He goes into the garden and his first remark is not, Adam, what have you done? But it is, Adam, where are you? This is the heart of God. He seeks that which is lost that which has lost its way, he seeks us. He goes looking for us. And that's the story of the Bible, how God wants to recreate the connection that he originally intended us to have in the garden. God wants a connection with you. He wants an attachment with you. And ultimately, that led to our heavenly Father sending his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to die on a cross so that your sins could be forgiven, and then to be resurrected to show that he has the power over death and the power over sin so that you could live a kingdom life that begins as soon as you begin following Jesus and goes on past your death all the way into a place that we call heaven. That is the heart of our God. Now, the mistake that a lot of us make is we think, well, if I had been in that garden, I wouldn't have eaten that fruit. Really? Read the Bible. Human beings have not done a real good job since that time making good choices. And I'll prove it to you. When there is a rule that is put out there, we are immediately tempted to break that rule. Have you ever seen a sign that says wet paint? And what do you do? You feel compelled to break the rule. But if you receive Jesus, your sins are forgiven. You begin to walk with him. And yes, when you die, death is a passageway, not an ending to eternal life. Which means we have to actually pause and think, what is heaven really like? What's it really going to be like? Our temptation is to create heaven in our own image to make heaven what we want it to be. And and we even think about this, about who goes to heaven. People think, well, good people go to heaven, right? Good people go to heaven. Bad people go to hell. And we think, well, heaven's gonna be like an extended vacation. Not too long ago, I heard someone say that their dad had passed away, and now they were happy with the thought that their dad is with their granddad, drinking beer in heaven, watching football. Really? 
Do you think that's what heaven really is? I know some of you think it depends on who's playing. <laughs> heaven, heaven is different. It's not what you and I want. So let's dive in to what John tells us about heaven because John is Jesus' friend. He had this vision God gave him about how time would end. And in the very last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22, if you have a Bible, you might want to turn there. Real easy to find. Last chapter in the Bible, go to the back of your Bible, find the maps, leaf forward a few pages, you get to Revelation 22. John begins to tell us about heaven, and he tells us two important things. Listen, the first three verses of Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. Do you hear what John's telling us about heaven? Here's the first thing. You might want to write this down. In heaven, everything is the way it's supposed to be. In heaven, everything is the way it's supposed to be. Do you hear how similar it is to the Garden of Eden? Remember in the Garden of Eden, there were four rivers that came out. But here there's one river. It flows from the throne of God. In the Garden of Eden, there is the tree of life in heaven the tree of life lines this river. It is like God is saying, I'm putting things back the way I intended them to be. So what does that look like? Well, first thing you need to know, there is a throne in heaven and your name is not on it. It doesn't belong to you. In heaven, that throne belongs to God and to the Lamb. The Lamb is Jesus Christ. In heaven, the river flows out from that throne, meaning God is the source of everything you need in heaven. And what does it mean for a river to flow? Well, now, we happen to live in one of the parts of the world where there is abundant rainfall. Remember, in the ancient Near East, there was not abundant rainfall. Uh, rain only came about six months out of the year. The other six months were dry. And so if you didn't collect enough water in the rainy season, you could go to your cistern where they would store water underground, reach down with a bucket, and there would be nothing there. Have you ever been really thirsty? I mean, really thirsty. And you didn't have a bottle of water, didn't have a bottle of Gatorade, nearest McDonald's was 100 miles away. In the ancient Near East, people worried about being thirsty. And the promise of heaven is that you'll never be thirsty. Never. Never. There is a river and it's crystal clear. Have you ever drank bent over from a mountain stream that's crystal clear? Got some of that sweet tasting mountain water. That's what that stream is like. Don't you remember what Jesus said in John chapter 7? He said, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. 
And whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Literally, meaning that it will flow through them. You are designed to be a pipe to receive the living water of God and then to have it flow through you out into a thirsty world. What this means is that heaven has an infinite supply of what you need. Not what you want, but what you need. You see, let's be honest, the deepest need of the human heart is to be attached, to know that you matter, that you really matter to God. And heaven is the place where you will know that at the deepest and most profound level. You will know your heavenly Father loves you. You will know that you are significant. You will know that your voice is listened to. You will have a friend who will never leave you. You will have ultimate security because your heavenly Father is there giving you everything you need with infinite supply. Now there's the tree of life as well. As I said, the tree of life is not just about living forever, ever. It is about the kind of life that you live. See, there are people right now in Florida and in the coast of the Carolinas, all of whom have lost their homes, they've lost everything they have. In some cases, they've lost their business, but their family survived. And you know what they're all saying? You know what every one of them are saying? We've lost everything, but my family's alive, and that's what's most important. What do you think is most important in heaven? What's most important in heaven is the kind of life you will have and experience. Oh, you've seen these pictures of everybody on a cloud with harps. That's not an accurate. That is not an accurate depiction of heaven. It is not being bored out of your mind with a harp and a cloud. It is about you actually living the life you were created to live without all of the junk that accumulates on your soul like barnacles on the bottom of a boat. This tree of life has fruit every month. You didn't grow up in the middle of an orange grove like I did. Orange tree gives you one crop a year. One crop. And what happens if that crop doesn't make? What happens if the oranges get blown off by a hurricane? You gotta wait a year. You gotta hope you have money in the bank. You gotta hope you have crop insurance. But heaven's not like that. In heaven, there is a crop every month. You never go to the tree of life in heaven and say, There's nothing here. There is always something there. Again, it's an infinite supply of what you need. And we're told the leaves of this tree are for the healing of the nations. Now, in the ancient world, leaves were used for medicinal purposes. You may have have seen this or read this. Sometimes the leaves would be ground up. They would be used as medicine. Sometimes if you had an open wound, they would take leaves. They would stuff your wound in it as a way to stop the bleeding and then wrap the wound with a cloth. Leaves are for healing. I know some of you bear wounds on your souls. You have felt rejection. 
a terrible childhood, abuse, a lonely marriage, a disastrous divorce, worries about your children, the choices they're making. I know that some of you have been unfairly labeled, unfairly judged, rejected. I want to tell you, in heaven, there is healing for every wound that's ever been struck and marked your soul. You're not going to have to carry the pain of those wounds or the scar of those wounds. I want you to imagine in heaven, there's no scarring, there's no marking. It gets healed by the grace of God, which flows from his throne. But we're told something else, that the leaves are for the healing of the nations. Did you know nations can sin? That nations can bear scars and wounds? Now, just just like us, it's so much easier for me to point out your sins than it is to deal with mine. It's very easy for me to point to the sins of Russia and say, boy, they need some healing. Well, what about the sins of our own country? Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you don't have to do this. But if you are a follower of Jesus, you have to take seriously the sins of the nation in which you participate. What sins do we have as an American nation? Certainly the sin of slavery, the legacy of racism, the forced displacement of Native Americans, the internment of Japanese Americans in World War II, forced medical experiments on mentally ill, not prizing and preserving the life of the unborn, callously disregarding the poor, reinforcing systems of economic oppressions. I tell you the list of the sins of our country are long and many. Do not think we are God's righteous, perfect nation because we are not. We need the healing that comes from the leaves of the tree of life. That is why I believe it's important for us as Americans to pray for revival. Not, not, not so that we can get our way in the legislature, but so that the sin of our country can be healed and forgiven. That's our greatest need. Now there's one more phrase, it's so powerful. There's no more curse. You remember there's a curse that comes to Adam and Eve. After they eat from the fruit, there are consequences to sin. You'll remember that Adam is told, you're gonna have to toil the ground. The sweat of your brow will be required to put bread on the table, and you will plant, and you will get thistles instead of what you plant. Every one of you who's ever pulled a weed, blame Adam. I've heard people say, do what you love. You'll never work a day in your life. I want you to know that's a lie. I love what I do. I love being your pastor. But there are some days 
when it is like pushing a rock uphill and I get it almost to the top and it slips and rolls right over me all the way back down and I've got to go back down and get it and start pushing again. You ever have days like that at work? If you're not nodding your head, you're lying. In heaven, it's not like that. Now, let's be clear. A lot of people think heaven is a place where you get to sleep late. Interesting, sleep is never mentioned in heaven. So get all you can while you're here on earth. No, don't. No. Okay. Here's the thing. In heaven, you will have responsibilities. I don't know all of what they will be. Here's what I know. It won't feel useless. It won't feel like busy work. And I don't think there's any paperwork in heaven. Doesn't that sound good? Now, you'll remember there's also a curse for women. Women are told in, in pain they will bear children. I have never been a woman. I've never given birth. So women out here who have given birth, let me just take a quick poll. How many of you felt pain in childbirth? Would you raise your hand? See, one woman back there has two hands up. Must have had twins. We're also told that part of a woman's curse is that she will feel desire for her husband. So just remember, men, every time your wife desires you, it's a curse. <laughs> I'm just telling you what the Bible says. No, let me explain this for you. Most women I know feel vulnerable at some point. It's physiological. Sometimes it happens in the process of of having a child and, and then feeling vulnerable physically. And here's the thing I want you to know, in heaven you won't feel that way. In heaven you will actually know that all the trouble, all the threats, all the vulnerability or weakness that you might ever feel is outside the gates. It can't get to you. Because God's protecting you. Now, you hear all this, and it might be easy for you to believe that heaven is all about you. It's a place of perfect security, perfect peace, perfect love, perfect forgiveness. But it's important to hear the second part of this passage. In the middle of verse 3, we pick it up. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city. His servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Do you, do you hear this second most important truth about heaven? The first truth is that heaven has everything you need, and the second truth is heaven is not about you. There is a throne in heaven, and your name is not on it. That throne belongs to our heavenly Father and to the Lamb, Jesus Christ. And we are told that light shines out from that throne. There's no need of a sun or a moon or a lamp because every light we need is coming from God. That means the presence of God is everywhere. In heaven, you cannot escape the amazing grace and love and peace of God. Remember what Jesus said. He said in John 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
Jesus says, when you decide to follow me, you're going to start walking in my light. You're going to walk by my path. And when you reach that portal of death, you will go through it into my everlasting light and presence forever and ever. Now, you might think, if you're honest, sounds a little dull. I mean, I just get to worship God forever. I don't even sing. I get to serve God forever. What am I going to do? It starts leading us to some some uncomfortable questions. If I don't enjoy serving God now, what makes me think I will enjoy serving God in heaven? If I don't enjoy being in the presence of God now, what makes me think I will enjoy being in the presence of God in heaven? Dallas Willard, the Christian philosopher, said this, I am thoroughly convinced that God will let everyone into heaven who, in his considered opinion, can stand it. But standing it may prove to be more difficult, a more difficult matter than those who take their view of heaven from popular movies or popular preaching may think. The fires in heaven may be hotter than those in the other place. Don't you remember what the Bible said? That to be in the presence of, and be in the presence of God is like being in the presence of consuming fire? You gotta get ready for heaven. You've got to get ready to be in the presence of God. Do, do you think a bitter person will be able to stand heaven? Do you think a hateful person will be able to stand heaven? What about a greedy person? Will they be able to stand heaven? What about a lustful person or a self-centered person? Will they be able to stand heaven? Heaven is for those who can stand to be in the presence of God forever. Which means we have to deal seriously with this question. Do you really want to do life with Jesus? If the answer is yes, does your life show it now? Do you really want to do life with Jesus? Jesus wants you to. I mean, the whole message of the Bible is, is really summed up in the words of Jesus that, that appear just a few verses down in chapter 22. In verse 16, we hear directly from Jesus. This is not John speaking. This is Jesus. He says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. Do do you hear what is in this passage that Jesus is pleading with you to come and do life with him, to live in his kingdom, to let him be your savior, to be your Lord, to be your leader. Jesus is saying, come. He is pleading. There's an old hymn that says softly and tenderly, 
Jesus is calling. He's calling you home to the place you were meant to be, not in this rat race of a life, but to do life in the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, look, I've sent my messenger, an angel, to tell you this. They're, they're, I'm not trying to surprise you. I'm not trying to play any tricks. I want to give you plenty of advance notice. And I want you to be sure and know who I am, that I am the root and offspring of David. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one who've come, who's come to put everything right. I'm the bright morning star. You can navigate your life by me. And I want you to come. And he says, the Spirit says come, which means the Holy Spirit, God personalized as Spirit, speaking to every person who ever has lived, is alive, or will live, invites every person to come to our Heavenly Father, to come to Jesus. And I want you to notice this, the bride says come. Who's the bride? The bride is the church. That's us. A bunch of imperfect, flawed, messed up, broken people. What's our message? Come to Jesus, not come to church. Now, coming to church is important. Don't get me wrong. But the focus is Jesus. That's why church has to be a place of grace. That's why we look out into this world and we say, hey, if you're messed up, if you're broken, you will fit in here because that's who we are. But Jesus is changing us, and Jesus will change you. The church is not to be a place of judgment. It is to be a place of invitation to the grace of Jesus. That's what it means for us to be a place of grace. Do we always get this right? No. But that's our goal. We want to be a place of grace that says, come to Jesus. And I want you to see something else here, real important. Everyone who comes says, come. If Jesus has really made a difference in your life, tell somebody. Now, you don't have to do this in an obnoxious way. You don't have to pull up to the drive through window and say, if you were to die tonight, do you know whether you would spend eternity in heaven or hell? But when you get a chance, and God will give you the chance. Tell people what Jesus has done for you. Let the one who has come say, come. And to all the thirsty, oh gosh, to everyone who's ever felt that parched soul, to everyone who's ever felt that dryness, that loneliness, that wondering, will I ever get what I need? Here's the good news. There is water for you. It's the water of the grace of Jesus. It is the water of love and peace and joy and, and gentleness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. It's the water that your soul is thirsting for. It's the water of grace. And that's why we're taking the Lord's Supper today. Because we need to be reminded that our Savior says, come. So in just a moment, I'm gonna invite you to take your, your cup and we're gonna celebrate the supper. But right now, I just want you to hold it. And if you don't have one, would you just raise your hand? Our deacons are right there. 
they will bring a cup and a piece of bread to you. Hey, and if you're watching online, how about getting your, your cup and your cracker right now? And as you're holding this, I just want to ask you this question. What do I need to do to get ready for heaven? What do you need to do to get ready for heaven? If you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life, first thing you need to do is say, I'm a sinner. Come into my life. I want to follow you. I know I won't do it perfectly, but I want you to be my bright morning star. I'll navigate by you. Maybe you've done that, but you've never been baptized. Well, to get ready for heaven, Jesus wants you to be baptized. Now, sometimes that's not possible. It wasn't possible for the thief on the cross, but baptism, baptism is your way of saying, hey, I'm willing to do whatever Jesus wants me to do. I know a lot of you, I know a lot of you, you've done this, you, you asked Jesus into your life a long time ago. You've been baptized, but I'm gonna ask you, what do you need to do to get ready for heaven? Is there a hurt you need to let God heal? Do you need to overcome your fear and really attach to him? Do you need to banish hatred and bitterness and greed and, and lust? Covetousness. You need to get banned that from your soul. I want you to listen to a song. I want you to see some pictures of some people who are courageous enough to take their next step to get ready for heaven. Pictures of people baptized at the lake. I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way. And who shall wear the story crown? The Lord, show me the way. Oh, sisters, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, sisters, let's go in the blue. 
back that part with the bread and take it out and hold it for just a moment. It's a reminder that God comes looking for you. He wants you to do life with him. He's pleading, come, come. I let my son's body be broken for you. So if you hunger and thirst for the right things, pursue them, you'll follow Jesus. You'll have the healing from the tree of life. You'll have what you really need. So remember that and give thanks to him. And take and eat. said, if you're thirsty, come to me. If your guilt is something you don't want to live with anymore, come to me. If your life's a wreck, come to me. There's healing. There's life. There's everything you need in me. Come to Jesus. Give him thanks. What do you need to do today to get ready for heaven? Because hope forever means walking with Jesus. Do you need to invite him into your life? Ask him to forgive your sins. Commit to follow him. Do you need to be baptized? Do you need to banish some hate and bitterness, some lust and greed from your life? You need to bring him to your insecurities, your fears. What do you need to do to get ready for heaven? I'm going to pray in just a moment. Then we're going to stand and we're going to sing our last song. And after that, we'll receive an offering. You can give that on your way out. It's our last act of worship. But in this time, will you just think what you need to do to get ready for heaven? And I'm going to go to the next step room during this song. If you need to, just slip out. Let me pray with you about whatever needs you have. And if you want to know more about following Jesus, I would love to have that conversation with you. So let's pray together. Father, I pray, first of all, a prayer of thanks that you come looking for us and you want us to be with you forever. And I pray that you'd help every one of us realize forever starts right now. Father, those of us who followed you for a long time, there's still things we need to do to get ready for heaven. So teach us, God, what it means to lay aside every, every sin that besets us and press on toward Jesus and with Jesus. And I pray, Father, for, for people who've not yet made that first step of faith, that today they, they push past their fears and excuses and reason, and they would invite Jesus into their lives and be baptized. Father, help every one of us hear your invitation to come 
hear the invitation if we're thirsty. There is a water that will satisfy us forever. I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.